0: Hello, welcome to episode three of What Some Would Call Lies in reruns. I'm Mike Lawson. I used to have a weekly storytelling podcast. Now I'm sharing those stories with y'all on the Afterthought Media feed. On this episode, I'm sharing a story called Remember. First, and this story, uh, I interview a friend of mine named Lauren, and uh, this is in the early days of what some will call as I was kind of trying to understand, you know, what everything was about, and maybe I'm going to interview friends, maybe I'm just going to tell stories, and um, there's a lot of experimenting going on. So, remember, was originally published on Tuesday, March 27th of 2012, and now I'm sharing it with you. Here we go. Dancing on the people, people dancing on the- episode 19 remember memory is the ability of the mind to store and recall past thoughts or knowledge does that include overstatements embellishments and embroidery hi my name's mike lawson and i tell what some would call lies um i really love telling stories i, I love, love, tell- love i love, love telling, telling, stories. telling stories what some would call lies 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 Vomit. You lying son of a gun. Kind of creepy son of a bitch. He said. She said. I said. What the hell? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I love your dress. I'm not making this up. You are a goddamn liar. I'm back, bitches. <laughs> I love telling stories. This podcast is in no particular order a collection of stories from my life that I retell as accurately as I see fit. The story I want to tell this week is about telling stories. Whoa, totally self-referential and meta. To be honest, the story that I wanted to tell on this episode was about my very first lucid memory. But the more that I started thinking about the memory, the more that I realized that the story, the story of a four-year-old Mike Lawson roller skating on a four-foot-by-four-foot slab of concrete outside our apartment in Anaheim, California, had a few ingredients that really needed to be unpacked. The ingredients included my mom's version of the story, photographs from the time period that helped me develop intricate details about the story, and then there was my actual memory, which was persuaded heavily by the first two ingredients. But this is a normal thing, right? The stories of our childhood have huge gaps that we fill in with details from our family's photographs. I talked to my friend Danny about this.
1: I have a picture of myself at about age one, asleep, with my face in a bowl of noodles. And I'm sure that I don't actually remember that, but it feels like I do because of the pictures.
0: For Danny, it was carbs. For me, it was nicotine. I have a photograph of myself at about age 4, shirtless, eyes closed, goofy smile, standing in front of the honeysuckle bushes at Nana's house with a cigarette in my mouth. Maybe I don't remember exactly why I had a cigarette in my mouth. Was I a 4 year old chain smoker or was I just the type of kid that picked up random cigarette butts off the ground and pretended to smoke them? And who thought that this was a Kodak moment? But even though the picture cuts off just below my shoulders. I can recall the navy blue track shorts I was wearing. I can remember my Aunt Carrie sitting on a lawn chair eating a Big hunk candy bar. I remember a tiny bowl of four strawberries picked from my grandmother's garden on the countertop in the kitchen. I remember.
1: I really do feel like I can remember it and I can remember feeling that sort of goofiness that that ridiculous joy and I feel very strongly like I remember it but it could just as easily be the pictures
0: Back to that first memory that I told you about when I was four. We lived in an apartment complex called Olive Tree Apartments on Cerritos in Anaheim, California. I was with my sister and her friend Brenda, roller skating on the 4x4 four four slab of concrete just outside the door of our apartment. From above it would have looked like a koi pond during feeding time, really confined, lots of elbows shoving and competing for space. This aggressive environment wasn't a good place for the four-year-old that was just learning to skate. My wheeled shoes rolled backward and my head went forward and I face planted right into the cement. My bottom teeth went through my lip. There was blood everywhere. It was like the scene in Alice in Wonderland when they're carelessly throwing red paint around to paint the roses red. It was traumatic. It was gory.
1: My earliest vivid memory... Um, and one that I know was not fabricated from photos was about a trip to the beach. Um, I was at the very oldest, about four years old, and I'm wearing this uh, this dark blue and pink swimsuit with this big ruffle across the top. That's a detail that it may have been fabricated from a photo, but because all of my pictures of me at the beach from that age had that silly ruffly swimsuit. But everything else, I think, is uh, is accurate. <laughs> so I remember sitting... Sitting at the edge of the water, and there were all these long strands of, of seaweed, kelpie kind of stuff that was washing up around me. And so I'm playing with the seaweed, just minding my business, and I look up, and there's this kid walking towards me. This boy, probably about six, and he's walking really fast towards me with something in his hand. The next thing I remember is seeing this huge rock coming at my face. This, this boy... Smashed me in the face with a rock, and he hit me sort of in the eye. Everything after that's a little fuzzy. Um, I'm sure I, I screamed and, and cried. I think that's probably a pretty typical reaction to getting hit in the face with a rock, no matter how old you are.
0: My mom tells a slightly different story about that roller skating accident in both stories. I fall and bite through my lip in both stories. I require stitches. But in my mom's version, I don't almost die from blood loss. And she even laughs when she talks about how calm I was during the hospital visit, the second hospital visit for stitches in a three-month time period. My mom recalls telling me that my hysterics during the first hospital visit added to my pain. So if I was wise, she said, I would try to calm down.
1: I've never found any pictures of myself at that age with a with a huge shiner. So I have to assume that maybe this kid didn't hit me as hard as I remember, but I'm sure it happened. And I don't consciously exaggerate when telling stories. But I think the beach story might feel exaggerated because of the time that's passed and by the fact that it was sort of traumatizing. I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't take much to upset a 4-year-old. And while the details of the event are fuzzy, the emotions that I felt still feel pretty strong and pretty clear. So as an adult, I think maybe I've had to adjust the memory a bit just to make it fit the emotions that I remember, which is why that rock felt so big and um, why the kid felt so scary. (laughs)
0: And some of my early childhood memories are just impossible. The glowing, the glowing bald infant that I saw in my bedroom window one evening, or driving home from my grandma's house in Riverside on Christmas Eve, looking up to the sky and seeing Santa in his sleigh.
1: Um, I had this friend who had these really cool pink cat's eye glasses, and I loved them and I wanted to try them on all the time. And I remember trying them on and looking at my reflection in the mirror. Instead of seeing my reflection, I see my friend in the mirror where my reflection should be, which is impossible. But I remember seeing it. I remember being completely shocked and amazed like it was this awesome magic trick we'd figured out. And I, I have no idea where this memory came from, but it, um, it's kind of awesome. I, I love this memory, even though I know it can't possibly be true.
0: We can't be relied on. I'm not saying that all kids are liars, what I'm saying is that part of the way memories are formed is unique to the person and their perspective. When I was 8 my sister and Brenda were walking to school and a man pulled up in a pickup truck and exposed himself to the two girls. I mentioned the story to Brenda a few months ago and she corrected me. That wasn't me she said, that was my sister Monica and your sister. When I mentioned the story to Monica. She had no idea what I was talking about.
1: When uh, when we were kids, we used to go camping with some family friends, and I very distinctly remember one camping trip where it was raining, and there were puddles that came up to our knees, and all of our parents were hiding out in the tent while my friends and I ran around in the rain, and we got soaked, and we didn't care. And we spent... In my memory, we spent the whole day playing out in the rain, um, only stopping every so often to, uh, to go into the tent and change our socks. Well, when I shared this memory with my dad, he sort of laughed and said, the way he remembers it, we spent less than an hour at the campsite after it started to rain, and then we packed up and left. So, it must have been a pretty awesome hour if it felt like an entire day of running and playing in the rain. The painting
0: of my past is filled with memories and stories, and some of the most intricate details were painted by my mother's retellings or filled in with outright exaggerations. Permanently recording the past onto the canvas of memory is a collaboration, not a one-man job. But for me, that doesn't make the painting, this, this work of art, it doesn't make it any less authentic. I should really reach out to Lauren I haven't talked to her in a long time and that story really reminded me of our friendship anyway okay next story I want to share with you is called Melody Rhythm and Sentimental Value I wrote it and published it back in 2012 uh, it was on the podcast for the Tuesday April 10th episode and now I'm sharing it with you here we go Wake up, little Michael, wake up. Wake up, little Michael, wake up. It's impossible to count the number of mornings as a child that I was startled awake by the 1957 Everly Brothers song, Wake Up Little Susie. Only when my mom used it as a wake up song, she replaced the name Susie with the name of the person she was trying to wake up. So, wake up little Julie, wake up little Michael, etc. It was actually very normal for my mom to sing songs with altered lyrics. Sometimes she does it intentionally. Foolish Little Girl, for example, the 1963 song from the Shirelles, was rearranged into the Lawson family favorite Mama's Little Boy. So, foolish little girl, little, little girl, became Mama's Little Boy, little, little boy. And although none of us are good at it, my family was always singing. Always. I've heard famous musicians and talented singers talk about their childhood. I've heard them say things like, I started singing before I could talk, or everyone in my house sang. we're a musical family. And they use this as evidence for why they're so talented, as if singing every day since you were a baby makes you good at it. I can tell you, however, that practice does not make perfect for everyone. In fact, that old adage, in my case, is actually completely incorrect. With my family, with me, practice actually made me worse. The more I practiced singing, the more I realized how awful I was. I think I'm gonna have a son He will be like him and me As free as a dove Conceived in love
1: sun is gonna shine above and even though we ain't got money i'm so in love
0: on many saturday mornings songs like this one anne marie's danny song was playing on the stereo in the living room as mom opened the windows and started the saturday morning cleaning routine my sister and i would get our list of duties and get to work the sooner we finished the sooner we were released and to make the time pass We'd often sing along with the music playing. Carol King, Diana Ross, Reba McIntyre. We were like young Osmonds, two awkward kids singing music we had no personal connection to, singing about experiences we've never had. And if you find he helps your mind,
1: you better take him home, home. Yeah, don't you live alone. Try to bring love lovers on.
0: Kind of become a running joke in our family. Mom can't sing, yet she wants to. And does. While watching a television show, she'll hear the first note of a familiar song and, without missing a beat, she'll just belt it out. Or someone will say something like, that's life, and mom will jump in with, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have, the facts of life. Part of the humor, I guess, is how serious she takes it. Oftentimes, she'll close her eyes lightly or emphasize lyrics with a hand gesture while being incredibly, incredibly off key. And the word or phrase doesn't even have to be the exact word or phrase from the song that it evokes. I remember once we were watching American Idol and Ryan Seacrest said something like, you have a lovely face. And my mom started in with, welcome to the hotel, California, such a lovely face. (laughs) And I guess I can say that I got all of my singing talent from mom. I've been known to burst into song, and it's usually triggered by one word or phrase in a conversation. Years ago, uh, for example, I was talking to my f- single friend Stephanie, and we jokingly made a pact that if we were both unwed by the age of 30, by the way, I just turned 31 and I'm not married, so I am the old maid that I worried about. But we made this pact. If we were both 30 and unwed, we'd marry one another. And then I started singing Jimmy soul song, If You Want to Be Happy. Now, if you aren't familiar with the lyrics, the chorus goes something like, If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. So from my personal point of view, get an ugly girl to marry you. That didn't exactly flatter Stephanie. Another time, one of my co-workers who has muscular dystrophy and is in a wheelchair was in an uncharacteristically foul mood. So in an effort to cheer her up, I started dancing and singing to the first song that came to my mind, which was unfortunately. Gloria Estefan's Get On Your Feet. You know, get on your feet, get up and make it happen. Get on your feet, stand up, and take some action. <sighs> I sing that to a woman that could literally do none of that. And I make up songs too, just like my mom. At four o'clock on just about every Friday, I sing The Last Hour's The Longest, which is my version of Cheryl Crow's The First Cut Is The Deepest. I sing a version of Lady Gaga's Poker Face when I see a guy with a banging body and a banged up face. Can't stand your, can't stand your butterface. And after watching this nasty ass coworker double dip a chip at a work function recently, I debuted my arrangement of Willow's Whip Your Hair. He dipped his chip back and forth, he dipped his chip back and forth.
1: I'm so in love with you honey.
0: I grew up on Randy Travis, Anne Murray, Billy Joel. As a teenager, these songs were on the soundtrack for Totally Uncool, the movie. But as an adult, I realized that this music was really good. Mom liked these records. That's what she calls them, records, even though she now only owns CDs. She liked these records for a reason. And the reason was legitimate. The the melodies, the lyrics, this is good music. I've started collecting some of those older songs that mom used to play, and so far I'm doing pretty good, but it's kind of unfortunate that I can't get some of the old songs we used to sing anymore. For example, my mom's version of Aretha Franklin's Natural Woman. You make me feel like a natural mama. (laughs) My current music library has a bunch of songs that remind me of cleaning days and singing with mom and Julie. And it's totally true that Billy Joel can play the fuck out of a piano. And if you're listening to Diana Ross and Close Your Eyes, you can see her soul. But for me, these songs have one more element that make them great. Nostalgia. done two more stories shared thanks for sticking around and please come back for the next episode where i'll share two more stories with you Uh, the stories i'm going to share with you next time are called the gay old party and that story is about a republican dude that i dated and then another story is called telltale stash and that's about a mustache that haunted me you won't want to miss it so see you on the next episode guys bye bye I like to eat pizza.